Hello, Choose Love audience. My name is Scarlett Lewis. I'm the founder of the Choose Love movement. Welcome to the Choose Love podcast. So excited uh, for today's conversation with Deborah McNellis. Deborah is the founder of Brain Insights, and she is a uh, she has a master's of education. Um, and she, I love this quote, Deborah, it's on your website. Um, it takes many years for a brain to fully develop. However, it's the positive early experiences that are invaluable to developing a brain that allows the unique essence of a child to shine. And uh, you have a neuro-nurturing model for early brain development that I really want to explore with you today. Um, welcome. Well, thank you. <laughs> Such a pleasure to be here, to connect with you, to support the Choose Love movement and be involved with it. It's, a, it's just a pure pleasure. Thank you. Uh, we were introduced by Marlene Cover, who is the founder of Parenting 2.0, and I thank her so much. You know, you, our hearts are aligned because when I started the Choose Love movement, the first project that I did was for prenatal uh, brains, really, but pregnant moms, because that's such an important part of brain development. And then also, uh, also we have infant toddlers um, because we know that the first few months of a brain's development is more important really than uh, even tr trying to play catch up for the next 10 years. You got it. Exactly. It's so true. Yeah. yeah. So, so that quote that you uh brought up is is just uh putting a, a spotlight on on that that importance that you know a child is born with this beautiful essence of who they are with a very undeveloped brain and we get the opportunity because we understand how brains develop we now know that we have the opportunity to have that positive influence in those most essential uh, months to to have a positive impact on on over overall well-being isn't that beautiful and you know I, I think of myself as a brand new mom I knew nothing <laughs> I mean I, I I wasn't thinking about brain development and I think about some of the choices that I made when I was pregnant and and some of the environments that I was in um even even my home life was at the time uh, very stressful and the fact of the matter is you can't always choose your environment but you can choose how you thoughtfully respond and had I just had the awareness that um that you know, this, this might be negatively impacting my baby's forming brain. I would have made different choices. I know that just with the awareness. And, and I think that uh, it's so important that we get this message out for, for people that are thinking about becoming moms, for pregnant moms, for moms that have their babies uh, with them, how vitally important Every moment is, um, of course, 
the most important is connection. And exactly. uh, I mean, it's all, it's all kind of like a circle because we have to, we have to know how to be present and to, to connect in, in meaningful ways. Um, that's social and emotional intelligence. That's the very core of it. And uh, interestingly enough, we're not born with those skills and tools. We have to learn them. Exactly. And just so you, you said so many wonderful, <laughs> made so many good points in, in what you just stated. Um, yeah, it's all about connection. And it's all about creating awareness about the importance of those connections. So when you said the word awareness, that's, that's what my company Brain Insights is all about, um, creating that awareness and that understanding. So parents do not have to feel the way that you were feeling that we have the brain research information. It's scientific information. So it's not just theory um, that, you know, somebody's theory. We have this, this evidence to show how brains develop, how the environment, how um, relationships, how all of this is having impacts on every moment. You're right. It's every moment. And the brain is what, what uh, science is showing us now, that the brain is developing at a rate in those young months and in early years, at a rate of 1 million connections being made per second. What? Yes. Oh my gosh. I know. Amazing. They used to say 800 connections per second, and I thought that was a lot. They're now saying 1 million connections are being made per second. Between the one million is yeah. that opposed to like seven hundred for an adult? Is are they saying that? Yeah, for you know, I don't know what, uh, yeah. uh, what the rate is as an adult. I mean, we're always making new connections and changing our brains throughout our lives, which is right. the good news. Right. Um, so we can always adapt and have that plasticity to make those changes. But the most plasticity, the time that the brain is making those most those changes at the most rate rapid rate is in those early months and years. So, so they're, they're so important. I mean, there's even research where they have um, taken small babies and that they've seen that the baby actually tries to engage their oh, yeah. caregiver. And when their caregiver uh, is not present, that in a very short time, the baby um, becomes distressed. Yes, yes. There's the very famous um, still face experiment. Still face that, experiment. Yeah, uh, where the uh, when when doing the experiment, the the parent and the child are doing interactions, and the in the baby's doing their cues. The serve and return. So the the baby's doing their cues. And the, and the parent is responding, and this is the natural way of, of this occurring and the healthy way. So that give and take, serve and return. But in this experiment, they ask the, the parent to just do a non-reactive face. They call it the still face. No response, no expression, no anything. And that baby just, yeah, like you just said, gets very distressed, dysregulated, and tries to get that parent engaged. And when they can't, they're just that they're, um, yeah, yeah, like I said, they just become totally dysregulated. 
Um, and so then the experimenters asked the parent, now, now you can go back to engaging with that child. And it, initially, sometimes those babies will, it'll take a, a bit for that baby yeah. to get back. So, the, so it's all about co-regulating. Babies' brains are so immature. Well, young children's brains are so immature that they need the adults in their lives to keep them regulated. So uh, the adult brain and, and presence, like you, you use that word, um, is, is so critical to helping them calm down from big emotions that they don't know how to deal with yet. And the, the last part of their brain to complete development is called the prefrontal cortex. And that part of the brain doesn't complete development until about the age of 25. So the, the adults in children's lives need to understand this so that they can be there for them, provide the empathy and the, and the calming reactions and response. So the parent needs to use their mature prefrontal cortex to keep themselves calm, to be what the children need. And having you this know, understanding makes, makes all the difference for the parents. It's incredible. And I, while you're talking, I'm thinking about, I'm just so thankful that cell phones really weren't a thing when I was raising my kids. Um, In fact, I remember, I remember the day that I realized that I spent more waking hours at work during the week than I did with my kids. I was a single working mom and I literally that day took the TV and brought it to Goodwill because because I didn't want to have that distraction. And I just wanted, I knew every moment was precious and I wanted to be there with my boys. Thank goodness. But I wasn't, I wasn't at the time thinking brain development. And now we have this and, and I, and it's an addiction for me at least this phone where, you know, I, 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 I will be going out to dinner and I'll look at the table next to us and I'll see these two beautiful children sitting with both of their parents, which is pretty amazing. (laughs) And the kids are on their iPads and the parents are on their phones. Nobody's communicating. And I just think I I, I literally every time, and I will, you'll probably read about it in the paper (laughs) at some point. (laughs) I really just want to go over to them and say, you have your beautiful kids. Do you know what I would give to have my six-year-old son back so that I could have dinner with him? You have your kids right in front of you. Get off your phone. What could be more important than these connections? And then on top of that comes all this brain development. And uh, so, yes, yes, this is so important, Deborah. So so how do we get started? Yeah, <laughs> we get started by helping people like do podcasts and, and webinars and share all this information everywhere we can. In, in fact, um, I, have, I have told you this story that um, the night of the, the Newtown shooting, I, um, I created, I, I got so emotional about what had happened and um, and I created that night, I thought we have to do, I have to do more. We, you know, collectively need to do yes. more, but yes. I personally have to do more. I have to get yes. more of this information out there so that we can prevent um, 
issues where where individuals are feeling like they need to go shoot up a school or a you know anywhere you know and so i uh I sat down and I created a program that I call Creating Great Connections. And I love that you use that word, connections, yeah. because it's called Creating Great Connections with the idea of, of um, going to communities, pulling communities together, which is creating great connections within the community to support creating great connections within the brains of children in that community. So, um so that's one thing that that I, I you know I just my when I created Brain Insights I I told everyone my goal is only to reach everyone right we need everyone to understand this we not only need parents and educators and people working directly with children to understand this we need everyone because we need all the community members the employers the decision makers the um the judges that are making decisions about placements mm-hmm. we need mm-hmm. the uh, the uh, the the politicians Um, that are deciding on policies that can support children and families. We need, uh, you know, we just need everyone to have this understanding and the voters. Um, So we just need everyone to have this awareness. So that's what, that's when you ask what, what's my program? My program is to, to create this awareness and, and, and make it very broadly understood. And when I share information on brain development, I don't do it in high level neuroscience terminology. I, I bring it down to the basics. And so in, in doing that, I decided that I needed to create a new term to convey what this is really all about. And so I trademarked the term neuro nurturing because that's what children need. They need that nurturing to develop those great connections in their brain. And what I realized is that what I was telling audiences in my presentations is that to develop a brain well, it really comes down to four basic things, which really correlates with the, the, the messages and the themes of, of um, the terms that you use in, in Choose Love. And so uh, what I, the, the four components that I talk about is that if we meet the physical needs and the security needs of a child and then provide nurturing interactions and lots of play. Those four components, we're providing what a a child really needs. And so I broke that down then, those four components, I broke those down into there's five elements of each of those areas. And that's the neural nurturing model that you quickly mentioned earlier, um, so that there we go, parents, adults that are working, you know, whether it's educators or, or parents that are working with young children or interacting every day can have this basic understanding and it's not complicated. That's the big thing I, I'm always saying. It's not complicated. I always say it's not rocket science, you it know, isn't. but it is science. Science. And you right. can get to those high levels of deep levels of neuroscience, right? But yeah. not but to to have the positive influence on children, you don't need to go there. It's just these basics. 
Can we break down the basics a little bit? Because I think, you know, like I think most people may have checked off that are listening, have checked these off in their heads. Okay, well, physical. Yeah, I'm providing all the physical needs. I I, I bathe my child. I feed them three squares a day. And, you know, I, I do what I need to do. Uh uh, security. My my kids are are safe, you know. The, so I'm providing that um, nurturing interaction. Yeah, I I spend some time every day playing with them, uh, uh, kind of interacting with them, and then playing. Yeah, we have some play every day, but it's it's it needs to be more mindful than that. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to uh, to to take this more seriously as our responsibility as not only parents, but, but as our, as, as individuals in our society, it is our responsibility to make sure that everyone has this knowledge, because this is what's going to create a safer, more peaceful and loving world. This is going to create the world that we want to live in. So Deborah, do you, do you think that we could break down each of these four components of your neuro nurturing model just a little bit? Um, Like when you say physical is your first pillar, um, can you break that down for us a little bit? Sure. And, and, and the thing is that, like you said, well, there's a couple of points I want to make is that, yes, many, many adults are doing all of these things already in their day. So how uh, affirming is that for a parent to say, oh, yeah, I am doing this. I am doing this. I am doing this. I can feel confident and better about what I'm doing for my child. But then having that understanding of why it's so beneficial makes a real a world of difference for That's adults. That's a great point. Yeah, it just makes such a difference. And I have so many adults say to me, you know, I wish, I, well, many say, I wish I would have known this when my children were younger. But the other thing is- My hand is that, raised. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing is that they'll say, well, I've heard a little bit about brain development, but I didn't understand it until I heard you the way that you explain it. And so having that base, like I said, the simple basic understanding um, makes that difference. So um, talking about the physical development. So um, nutrition, um, that's that's a really big one. Making sure that children, yeah, I feed my child every day, but then thinking about and realizing how nutrition impacts the way a, a brain functions um, a lot of people think of nutrition in relation to the body more than they do think about it in relation to the brain. And it can make such an incredible difference with mood and behavior and sleep and um, physical activity. It impacts all of that. And so if a child, for example, if a child has um, adequate nutrition, I mean, adequate amounts of protein, especially um, for breakfast um, and their snacks throughout the day, if there's nutrition, or a, I keep saying nutrition, if there's protein, adequate amounts of protein, the brain gets what it needs to, the fuel it needs to function. In contrast, if a child were to only eat some simple carbohydrates for breakfast, so say a, a sugary cereal for breakfast, Pop Tarts. 
Yeah, that's the example. You know, we are so aligned in so many, t- you know, when we have conversations, they're, it, it, yeah, they're just aligned. Because we and had Pop-Tarts. That's why I say that, because yeah. I actually did that. Yeah, yeah. And so Pop-Tarts was one is one of the examples I use all the time. So say they have a Pop-Tart for breakfast. What happens is 30 minutes later, blood sugar, well, the blood sugar levels rise because of the simple carbohydrates. 30 minutes later, those blood sugar levels drop. And what, what the, the way I explain it is the brain says, I needed fuel to function, but this is what you gave me. I can't function on this. So what it does then is it releases cortisol, the stress hormone, because Ooh. it doesn't have what it needs. Yeah. So then um, the the child feels agitated and might be aggressive, might be hyperactive in just crabby mood. I'm the same way. I mean, it's the same for adults. If I eat a donut for breakfast or, you know, I'm, you know, blech, an hour later, I'm a mess and you can't focus and you can't pay attention. You get brain fog. And, and like I said, a child might be fidgety and ag- aggressive and agitated and all of that just because their brain isn't getting the fuel it needs to function. Now the stress hormones are activated and that's all going on. And they have an immature prefrontal cortex, which eventually when it's mature will control all of help help to control all of that. Mm -hmm. But there's they're still developing that area of their brain. So they don't have the ability to control all of that. So if the child does have you know, scrambled eggs for breakfast, for example, um, what happens is the brain gets what it needs and it releases instead serotonin, the feel good mm. chemicals. Gosh, what a difference. 180. Yeah, they, yeah, exactly. They can pay attention. They can focus. They feel good. They, yeah. And so, not just for, and this isn't just for kids. This is for us big kids as well. Exactly. Exactly. It applies to all brains of any age, but right. at least adult brains have that prefrontal cortex that you can have somewhat overriding all of that that's going on. But you have, you know, six-year-old in first grade and, uh, you know, it's hard to focus and pay attention and sit still and all of those things that are expected of them. Um, and I could go off in, into that realm of understanding brain development with 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 what we what we expect of children in school settings. But right, good point. And I, I know probably like me, other people are thinking of adults that don't have the social and emotional intelligence to right. override exactly the negative impact of that pop tart. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. And so in my presentations, I go into a lot more detail about that that area not being developed as as well as possible because they didn't get the optimal experiences in the early years for for that high level of of, um, social emotional development right amazing okay so um, let's go down into number two security security yeah well obviously we we want children to feel safe they need to be environments in environments that feel safe the brain is always unconsciously, and this is with adults as well, throughout our lives, our brains are always unconsciously scanning the environment for safety. We're scanning the environment for the, the environment and the people in it for safety. So that's the job of the brain to keep us alive and keep us you know, safe. 
So um, it's always on this alert. And um, so we want to make sure that the people in the environment and the environment itself is safe. So along with that, um, but you know, we need to be careful when we when we say safe because we don't want to uh, create that overprotective um, uh, situation that parents are not allowing children to do anything that they might feel is risky or, you know, we need to allow children to have some, to take some risks and challenges uh, also, but within that safety. So if you picture like, um, that's a really good point. Is that called like, that's lawn? What, where are we now? Are we lawnmower or helicopter or? <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah. So if you picture, uh, say, say an 18-month-old, an 18-month-old is at that stage of toddling around, and they should be, if they've had healthy, um, secure attachment in the in the early months of their life, they should be at the stage of exploring and getting into everything. That's what they should be doing at that stage. Well, but they don't know what everything does and what all these, you know, risks might be. So they're going to try climbing up on this and this might not be a safe thing. So yes, we need, we need, they, they need that adult present to allow them to climb on, you know, the safe things, but, and, and allow them to try out these, these things. So but uh, a child of that age is going to check in with you. Can you picture that? Like an 18 month is going to go off and, and explore, but they need to come back and touch mm. back. They might just mm. come back and grab your leg or want to be held for two seconds and then they want to be off again. You or even to, look back to make yeah, sure or that you're watching, back. right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. that's part of that security that they know that you're there but you're allowing them to explore and do what they need to do, but you're that safety area. And again, it's that presence, it's that consistency, it's that reliability that you're giving them that cultivates that sense of security within them. Exactly. Those are other elements uh, that I have under the security category that um, the brain thrives on routine and consistency. And in that, and consistency mm-hmm. can can mean consistency within your day and having a regular routine. It also is consistency within relationships that they know that if I do this behavior, this is the response I'm going to get. Mm-hmm. If I come up and I and I need a hug and I need you know to do that touch base thing, that I'm going to get a positive nurturing response from this person. Um, if they sometimes get this res- this nurturing response and sometimes they're uh, rebuffed, that that brain doesn't know what to connect. You know, what, sometimes this person's nice to me, sometimes they're not. I don't know if I can rely on this person. So that consistency is a really important part of it. And that's all based on the the parents or the caretaker's social and emotional intelligence, whether they're able to provide that regardless of what's going on in their lives, whether they're able to manage their emotions and be present for that child in a positive way. Exactly. Um, What's the magic number in positive psychology? Is it, um, 
seven positive oh, encounters yes. to every one negative. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I don't have I, that I, number in my head, but yeah, yeah. I think that it's the. I think technically, uh, <laughs> I know Barbara Fredrickson in her book positive uh in positive psychology positive intelligence said three to one but i think for kids it's actually seven to one that means yeah. that means that for every negative experience they need seven to actually make up for that as far as brain health and i remember uh interviewing a, a, our our early childhood development specialist lisa swain that actually is responsible for our infant toddler program and she said she used to stand at the back of the room think about whether you'd want lisa in your classroom and for she'd listen to the educator and so for every negative response repercussion discipline she would hold up a red flag and uh and that was a signal for the teacher that they had to make that up with seven positive interactions. Yeah. And what a great reminder though. And, and a great reminder for all of our listeners that uh, it's okay to have, you know, an occasional um, hiccup, but you need to make yes. up for that and be mindful that you do that. Yes. The repair part of it is so important. So if, if there, you know, and, not if, when, because none of us are going to do any of this perfectly, and we're not going to expect that. But but we, having the understanding is going to make it more likely that those positive things are going to occur. But um, uh, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, no, that that was that, perfect. Oh, the, re, the repair that yeah that um, when when there is a disruption in the relationship to go back and do that repair. And even modeling that, if there's an, another adult in the child's life and there's um, arguing or that type of thing going on, if they can, if the child can witness that repair of that relationship, the making up part of the relationship, um, that's important as well. Yeah, and you know, uh, it's, it's, it's good to, to just say maybe um, that, I, I mean, I'm thinking about myself as you're talking and I have a 20 year old son now and I'm yeah. far from perfect. And uh, so, but, but trying, trying my best, we're all doing the best that we exactly. can with the skills and tools that we have, exactly. but there's always the ability to do better. Yeah. And, uh, and, and this gives you the understanding of, of how important that is. Yeah. Yeah. And the point you're making there brings up I, I, one of my favorite presentations I do is about the way in which the brain pays attention. And it has a lot to do with what I was saying about we're unconsciously scanning the environment mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. safety. Mm -hmm. um, but um, it, it, we need to, in that presentation, I talk about how we need to, as adults, focus our attention again on the positives because what what do we do to ourselves all the time mm. you know like at the end of our day we say oh i didn't get that done i should have handled that better i didn't do that well blah 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 we we go through this list of what we didn't do well right our negative focus our negative yeah, bias exactly so this in this presentation, I, I emphasize, you know, I go through a lot of explanation prior to this, but then make the point that we what we need to do is we need to 
switch our thinking, because we do have that negative bias, we need to switch our thinking and stop and think about, but I did do this well, and I did do that well, and I did get that finished, and I did accomplish that. And let ourselves look at those positives so that we're not beating ourselves up so much. And what happens is when we start to go one direction, our brain starts searching for whatever is going to support our belief. So if we're feeling like we're a lousy parent, guess what? Your brain's going to start searching for evidence of of incidents to support that belief. Oh, yeah. See, do you remember when you did that and did that and did that? Well, turn it around and think about, well, yeah, but I did do this. And then let your brain look for all those uh evidence, you know, those points of evidence that's that support that you are doing some very, very positive things. Cause we do, we do so many positive things throughout the day, but we don't put our emphasis on that. I love that. And that's actually how the choose love movement started. When I, when I got up in front of the congregation said that we can, we wear thoughts and that we can choose loving thoughts over angry thoughts. Exactly. And, uh, so, okay. Yeah. So um, number three, nurturing interactions. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we kind of talked a lot about that already, but it's all about um, having those, those, that, that presence and those nurturing interactions and support and empathy. Uh, when you were talking about the um, cell phones, an example that I use uh, in my presentations is I talk about the example of having a two-year-old in a grocery cart in the checkout line. And she, this this little two-year-old wants the candy that's right at eye level. And we say, we can't, you no, no, we're not getting candy. Well, she doesn't have the ability, her prefrontal cortex isn't developed enough for her to handle those big emotions she has right now. Because you said, no, you can't have this candy. And she has all these big emotions about it. And, and so if the adult in her life realizes this and understands, she just has these emotions she doesn't know how to control, which we call, of course, out of control behavior. Well, it is. It's out of her control because her prefrontal yeah. cortex yeah. isn't developed Literally. enough to control those, those emotions. She needs that adult to be the calm person in her life to get her regulated again. So to, for the adult to take a deep breath and realize I need to help her calm through these big emotions. And by doing that in a nurturing way, by empathizing, I know it's so hard when you don't, can't get what you want, isn't it? And it makes you mad and it makes you sad when you can't have, when I said you can't have the candy, that made, so all of that nurturing and that, that um, empathetic responsiveness makes the difference. And so what I always say after making that explanation, I always say, and the last thing you want to do is hand them a cell phone to try to calm them down. Uh, because what, what happens is. Why that's it, so easy. <laughs> it's so easy. It's so easy. But, and it works. It calms them right. down. But what happens is they miss that opportunity of that 
that relationship, that nurturing interaction to that lesson for her brain to make the connections from the experience. It's, you know, those, those uh, million connections that are being made each minute are made based on experience. So if she's having that experience of that reciprocal nurturing interactive relationship, that's making connections in her prefrontal cortex. So she'll be able to regulate ultimately. So handing her the phone does just the opposite. It, 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 or it, it doesn't do the opposite. It misses the opportunity to make those connections. And taking it one step further, um, I think that sometimes we pay attention to our kids when they misbehave and when they're acting the way they should and they're quiet in their rooms, doing their homework or even on a device we're happy because we're busy doing other things. And, and we have to be aware that we want to reward good behavior yes. and over and above punishing bad behavior, yes. um, you know, uh, and, and make sure that, you know, you're talking about that seven to one ratio, make sure that if, we do have to talk to them about something that they did that we compensate that with seven positives. Exactly. And that's so exactly. important because then the child will learn, ah, so the only time I'm going to get my parents' attention is when I misbehave. Yep. So I'm just going to misbehave because we crave that attention and it gets to the point where we don't care if it's positive or negative. We just need attention. We need connection as human beings. We do. We're biologically designed for connection. So, yep. And you get, you pick the key word there. It's all about attention. And that's why that's my favorite presentation. And it goes back to giving that attention when they're doing the positives. You are so right. And, um, and, and I'm a big advocate for not using praise. And people are often surprised for, to hear me say that because I'm a very positive person and I'm promoting positive positivity. But um, I'm, I'm not a supporter of praise because um, what we would, when we do, when we use praise, when we say, oh, you did a good job on that, or, you know, like a child brings you a a drawing that they've done and, and they bring it up to show you and our our natural response is oh that's beautiful oh good job right but when we do that we're making a judgment we're sharing our opinion and what i feel is more advantageous for children is if we instead help them to learn to self evaluate so if we were in, instead to say, wow, you look really proud of your picture. Are you proud of what you have done? Turn it back on them so then they can say, yeah, I didn't know I could draw a tree like that before. Or they could say, you know what? I think I could do it better. And so we're if we just make, say good job, we're setting the bar right there. And, um, and then we're helping them to get become dependent on the opinion of other people. And what we'd rather have them learn to do is, is self-evaluate, as I said. So. Yeah, that's a really great point. 
um, as we, so let's go into the fourth pillar and this is, you know, I, I love the, the nourishing, nurturing interactions, which of course relates to Jesse's message of nurturing, healing, love. And then number four is play. And, uh, he left this message for his older brother, have a lot of fun. And it turns out that is really important. And there is a lot of science behind the benefits of, enabling, allowing your kids to have unstructured play when they're young. Definitely, definitely. Unstructured play, experimentation, trial and error, um, uh, exploration, all of that, movement, all of that um, is so essential. And yes, have fun. I love that he did that message. So then all his messages are so wonderful and beautiful and, and align with with everything that we know is good and positive, right? Yes, so absolutely. You are so right. There is just an abundance of research that shows how important play is. It's just, it's, it's what children naturally want to do. And it's naturally what they need to do. It's the way the brain makes these connections. So there's so many ways that I, I, demonstrate this in my presentations about how different it is to um, to learn something with with hands-on using a lot lots of different senses compared to you know doing something on a worksheet or just looking at a picture of something or watching a video or watching a video even yes yes so they need to explore and and experiment and interact um, for these brain connections to be made. They need to do that. And we're just, you know, a lot of times just getting in their way of doing what they naturally need and following their own curiosity. Like you said, self-directed is so important um, uh, or unstructured so that they can go in the direction of their abilities, their interests. Every child is different and unique, beautifully unique. And, um, which I call undefinable. Every child is undefinable. And, um, and that's part of my using, not using praise that we're, if we use praise and say, good girl, or you're so smart, or you're so beautiful, or you're so good at, or any of that, we're putting these labels on, on children. And, um, what we just want them to be is be who they are without, without a label and just be their undefinable, beautiful essence and let that shine. Um, so play allows for all of that to develop and, and happen. And um, there was one other point I was going to make, be make, make about play. Oh, play in nature, play outdoors is so essential. Um, and this is all developing that highest functioning brain area, the thinking area of the brain and the, and the how to process. And one example that I use um Often when you were talking about um, taking the television away and giving that to goodwill, um, I talk about when I was growing up, and maybe this is how it was for you, and I know many other adults share this um, experience, but when, when I was growing up, it was all the neighborhood kids would get together. Um, and we and, and it was different genders and different ages and we'd all just get together and we we're going to play right but and then 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 the group would have to try to figure out well what what are we going to play 
And so there'll be all this negotiation and, and, and um, you know, that socialization to figure out what, what are we going to play? And then you'd get the game decided. Now we have to choose teams and how are we going to choose teams? And you have to figure that all out and processing the problem solving and critical thinking and all of that had to go into it. And then the game gets started and you get partway through the game and you think, oh, you know what, we need a different rule for the five-year-olds than, than for the eight-year-olds. And then they'd have to think, but now so often, much more frequently, children are divided up by gender and divided up by age groups. The six-year-old boys are going to play this, you know, say it's uh, baseball. So they're going to play baseball. And then the adults tell them, these are the rules. This is what you do. This is when you do it. This is... Well, they lose all that opportunity to develop that prefrontal cortex through those experiences and all that social emotional development that is happening in, in that type of play. That's so interesting because you're right. I grew up walking to school and, you know, all the kids in the in in our little neighborhood would play. I have a best friend that just sent me a poem that I wrote about her. Uh, I think we were six years old. Um, mm. And then when we were, uh, she had saved it, which is beautiful. We're still friends. And then uh, when we were a little bit older, we played Charlie's Angels. And, <laughs> uh, it, and, and we had our favorite characters and we would run around outside and go on adventures. And um, I think that, yeah, unfortunately, um, some of that has been lost. I think that maybe some parents don't feel safe right. doing that. Right. Um, I think that, you know, we have launched an era of, you know, we had, um, talked about this before over parenting, mm -hmm. um, and I, you and know, schools are eliminating recess, you know, there's either eliminating or reducing or, the, the amount of time that children get to play at outside at recess, which would be a wonderful opportunity for all of this to take place as well. Um, or if they do have recess, there's so many restrictions on the type of games that kids can play anymore. So all of that. All of that, all of that points us in the direction of what you and I are doing is so vitally important. We need this. We need to spread awareness. Um, those of you who are listening, please forward this podcast to your friends and family and anyone that you think uh, could benefit from it. We need to get the word out uh, and word of mouth is still the most powerful way. Um, please check out Deborah's website. It's braininsightsonline.com. And she's got incredible products. I love um, your uh, cards that you have for all age groups that you can literally flip through the cards and it gives you examples and ideas of what you can be doing with every age, that younger age group. It's uh, that's really, really cool. And, uh, and we, we just appreciate you so much, Deborah. We're really excited to partner with you and move forward in getting this essential information out to our audiences and across the country and world and helping create that world that we all want to live in. 
Exactly, exactly. So it's just, yeah, it's, it's beyond pleasurable to be connecting with Choose Love because it just aligns. Uh, choose Love and Neural Nurturing. Neural Nurturing a child is going to allow a child to choose love. So it's just perfect. Exactly, exactly. Well, thank you, Deborah, for choosing love. <laughs> and thank you, audience, for choosing love. And we will see you next time. It's all part of us. We can all choose love. It'll lift you up if you let it in. Let the healing. Thanks for listening begin. to the Choose Love podcast. Our positive, empowering messaging is reaching millions of people all over the planet. Join the worldwide movement to choose love. Our programming is in over 10,000 schools, homes, and communities across the country, in every state, and over 112 countries and counting. We're giving individuals of all ages the essential life skills they need to flourish. You can be part of the solution, too. We have sponsorship opportunities available that help support us and enable you to share in helping create a safer, more peaceful, and loving world. Contact me on our website, ChooseLoveMovement.org.